We are continuing in our series entitled One Another. And in this series, we are, uh, we are looking at the different times in the New Testament where it uses that word one another and describes the church and what we should be doing and who we should be as a church. Uh, this is our, we're, we're looking at eight of them, and this is number seven for us. And today we're looking in Hebrews 10 where it says that we should encourage one another. We should exhort, we should stir up one another. Not every hill is a hill to die on. But there are some hills that are worth it, right? Like the deity of Christ. That Christ is fully God. You know, that, that's a hill that we're willing to die on. If somebody says, you know, Jesus is not God, yeah, no, that we're, we're going to fight to the death on that one. Christ is the only way. And our pluralistic society, you know, we hold out that Christ is the only hope for mankind. You know, that's a hill that we're, we're willing to die on. Some hills, though, are we think that they're worth dying on, but in reality, they're not that important. Like music style, parenting styles, wanting our own way. A lot of times we think, well, that's something I should die on, that's a battle that I should fight, and at the end of the day, no, it's, it's just nothing. Another hill not really worth dying on, LSU football. We think it's worth dying on. That kind of fell flat. But I want to submit to you this morning that the truths about Christ are not just truths worth dying on, but they're truths worth living on. They're not just truths that we should die for, they're truths that we should live on. That is, that our belief in Christ shapes how we live our life. It redefines how we live. And in the passage here in Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews gives three essential components of the Christian life. Drawing near to God, enduring to the end, encouraging one another. What we see here is that Jesus' death and resurrection reshapes how we approach God and how we approach each other. He changes everything. So if you would please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Let's read Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And here it is. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father in heaven, as we behold your word this morning, a truth that should reshape how we live our, our lives, I pray, Lord, that you would convict us, Lord, of where we fall short. 
Father, that you would show us ways that we're not obedient. Father, that you would encourage us, that you would empower us. Lord, your word tells us that everything we need for life and godliness you give to us, you empower us with. So help us today, Lord, as we behold your word and help us to Help us to say to you, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Basically, what he's saying here is that because of what Jesus has done for us, we should do these three things. We should do these three things. And the first one we see there is draw near. Draw near, verse 22. But before we get to verse 22, there's a little bit of background that he gives us. Why should we draw near? Why does he tell us to draw near to God? And really, not just the reason for drawing near, but the reason for all three of these commands. Why should we do these things? Look at what he says there. He starts off, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God. That word there that he says, uh, he says the holy places, uh, a lot of, some translations translate the most holy place. What he's referring to here is the holy of holies. The place in uh, the tabernacle that as the people of God wandered around and they had the tabernacle, this was the place where the presence of God appeared. This was the place that because God was so holy, no one would go near it. No one would go near it because God is just so holy and unapproachable and revered. People realize that He is holy and I am not. So I don't really want to get too close to it. It reminds me of a a job that I used to have. I worked for a company and the CEO was in the same office as us. We were in the central office together and uh, this guy was a high roller, if ever there was. I mean, this guy, he lived in Bethesda and would fly down and drive down sometimes to to go into the office, and you would see this guy walking the hallways of the office, and as you saw him walking, you would just kind of want to duck your head in. I don't want to get too close to this guy. His office was on the next floor up from all of us. In fact, to get to the executive suite where his office was, it was behind a locked door. You had to put in a, a, a code to get in. This guy was unapproachable. He was unapproachable. I remember one time our our sales team hit a a really big milestone, and so he invited us to dinner. We just thought, man, look at this. We're moving up in the world. And here he comes, you know, we're sitting in this nice place on a patio, and then he comes up here with his sports car, revs it up a few times, and then goes, and he doesn't park in a parking space. He parks right next to the patio so that he can get out and just walk 10 feet to the table. I mean, this guy was a high roller. He was unapproachable. He was the CEO. 
A lot of time that feeling of apprehension to come close is what God's people felt for His presence. I don't want to get too close because I don't want to die. In fact, when it comes to the Holy of Holies, the high priest was the only one who would enter. He would slaughter an animal and its blood would temporarily atone for his sins, for the sins of the people. And he would have to repeat this every year. Only one man could go in and only him under certain circumstances. I want you to see what it says that Jesus does for us. Jesus gives us the authorization to go in. Jesus gives us the authorization, the confidence, it says, the boldness to go into the presence of God. Well, why, why is it any different for us? Why should we not be afraid to approach His presence? And I want you to see what He does for us there. He sprinkles us clean, it says, by the blood of Jesus, verse 19 tells us. I love what Hebrews 9 says a couple chapters earlier. It's not on the screen, but listen. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. You see, what was happening there was this one man who would go in, who would stand in the presence of God, was the high priest. And he had to offer up these animals year after year for his own sins before he can enter. But notice the superiority of Jesus. That Jesus doesn't just offer up His blood once a year so that we can enter in the presence of God. But y'all look, He offered it up once and for all. And Jesus unlike the human high priest, doesn't have to offer his own blood for himself, for his sins, but because of that, he can offer it for the sins of the world. And not only are we sprinkled clean by him, but notice what else it says that Jesus has done for us. He tore down the curtain that kept us out. In that holy of, of holies, there was a, a massive curtain hanging. And that curtain was a symbol of God is holy, He is completely other, and we can't go near Him because we are sinners. The one who crossed that curtain would surely die. But notice what Jesus did. The author of Hebrews in our passage here tells us that Jesus opened up a way for us through the curtain, and then he says that is through his flesh. Jesus tore the curtain, and we know this, that when he died, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing God saying, I am tearing the curtain down that separates me from my people. And Jesus, it says, did that by tearing his flesh. Because Jesus' flesh was torn, that curtain that separated us was torn down also. Jesus is basically saying, y'all come on in. I'm making a way for you to come into the Father's presence and to enjoy an intimate relationship with Him. Y'all don't have to be afraid anymore. Come in and enjoy the presence of the Father. So He tells us, in light of that, we need to avail ourselves of what He has done for us. 
And so the first command he gives is draw near. Draw near. Why does he say that? I mean, think about it. Shouldn't that be assumed? I mean, you see Jesus doing this for us. You see Jesus opening up a way, saying, I've made a way that you can enjoy a relationship with the Father. Why on earth would the writer of Hebrews then say, but I encourage you to draw near? Why would he have to tell us that? Surely we would just get it. Like, if he did that for us, we're going to go near. When believers are holding fast to Christ, the natural thing to do is to draw near. But listen, the reason why he wrote that is because he knows that there are many times where our weakness makes us not want to draw near, but it makes us want to run away. There are many times that those who have been covered under the blood of Christ, those who are His, those who are clinging to Him, we see our weakness, we see our sin, and we say, you know what? God doesn't want to hear from me right now. He doesn't want me to draw near. I need to actually run the other way. So he knows that the people that he's writing to, that they're going to be faced with their weakness, that they're going to be faced with their sin, and that they're going to be tempted to want to turn and hide. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Because of what Jesus has done, we can go near. We don't have to be afraid. We can draw near to Him. Look at what He says right after that. He says, let us draw near. And He tells us how we should draw near. He says, with a sincere heart. With a sincere heart. Well, what does He mean by that? With a true heart, with a sincere heart. Well, he tells us. Look right after that, he says, in full assurance of faith. In full assurance of faith. What that means is that as we draw near to God, as we instead of turning and hiding and turning and running away, as we draw near to Him, we trust in Christ's finished work on the cross for us. Y'all, there are many times, even, even the last few days, where I have just felt just spiritually dead, apathetic. And in that time, you know, it was, it was easy for me to say, I really don't feel like coming near to God. I think I'm just going to kind of pull back a little bit and try to get myself together. And, and it was like, hey, do you not know what you're preaching on Sunday? Look at what it says. Right when we do that is when we should... Draw near with full assurance of faith, knowing that Jesus' death was enough. Listen, y'all, we don't have to try to atone for our sins. It's not like Jesus died, He bled for us, He died for us, He rose again for us, and now all of a sudden we have to, when we mess up, try to make up for it before we can go back and be good with the Father. I mean, do, I, do we do that with our own children? I don't do it to mine. When my children do something wrong, they don't have to go and try to make it up to me before they can come and jump in my lap. No. They're my kids. And that's exactly what the author is saying. It's exactly what God is saying to us. We should draw near to Him. We're His kids. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so, even when we fail, even when we mess up, even when we feel less than worthy, that's not when we need to run away, but that's exactly, listen, when we need to draw near. 
earlier in the book, this is actually the second time that he's telling us this. In chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews, he has another command very similar to this, and he tells us we should draw near to receive grace and help in time of need. Listen, our tendency is to want to run. Our tendency is to hide. Our tendency is, well, I've messed up. I'm weak. I don't want to see God right now. But listen, that's the only way that we will find help. That's the only way that we will overcome our sin is by drawing near. The other thing about a sincere heart that he tells us is to have our hearts sprinkled clean. I love that because Jesus is not just cleaning us up on the outside. He's not just giving us a list of rules to follow externally, but notice what he's doing. He's cleaning up the heart. He's sprinkling clean the heart. So why do we need to draw near? Well, we can't do the next thing he tells us unless we're drawing near. The second thing he tells us to do is he tells us, after let us draw near, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. This goes hand in hand. As we draw near to Him, we don't want to go anywhere else. As we draw near to Him, we don't want to waver. When you, when you look at people who fall away from the faith and who wander from the truth, these people generally are not drawing near to God. They're people who usually say, I've got this on my own. And next thing you know, they go off wandering. He says, let us endure, let us hold fast. That word hold fast means to adhere firmly to the traditions or convictions or beliefs that we have. And notice what he says that we hold fast to. He says, the confession of our hope. That word confession means two things. It means, first of all, a statement of allegiance. It means Jesus is who has my allegiance. He is the one that I'm holding fast to. But it also means the confession, the core beliefs that we profess about Him. It's our allegiance and it's our profession of these beliefs that we have in Him. And notice what it says about that. The confession of our hope. That is to say, the one source of hope that we have, listen y'all, is by holding fast. Holding our allegiance to Christ fast. Holding our faith in Him, our trust in Him fast. Our confession of Him produces hope. It comes from hope. And ultimately our confession of Him is hope. A lot of times we wander from it. A lot of times we think that we can find hope other places and He's telling us no We've got to hold fast because that's where we're going to find hope. That's the only place that we can hope in. He tells us that we're to do it without wavering. Without wavering. I don't know about, about y'all. That sounds really hard. Right? How can we withstand the pressure we don't live in a bed of roses where everything is perfect all the time. How can we withstand the pressure? How can we not give up? I mean, think about it. We have an enemy that wants us to stumble. Sin is deceptive and constantly pulling at us to stumble. 
Our culture is pressuring us to give up and just stop. We face trials on every side. And then we just get tired and grow weary. How is it that we are supposed to keep this command? How is it that we are to do what He says to hold fast to our confession that brings us hope? How are we to do it without wavering? How are we to do it without stumbling? Well, look at what He says next. He gives us the answer. He says, For He who promised, look, is faithful. How are we going to make it through? How are we going to hold fast to Him to the head? Paul tells us in Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will finish it. Jude, verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Y'all, there's only one person who can keep us from stumbling. And it's the one who called us. It's the one who called us to Himself. Or to put it in a different way of a song that we often sing. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from His hand. Church, we've got to hold fast. We do that by drawing near And at the end of the day, when we worry that we don't have it in us to endure to the end, and guess what? We don't. When we finally realize, man, I'm so weak, I'm not going to be able to hold on to Jesus for the long haul. That's exactly when He tells us. He who saved you, He who made those promises to you that we sang about standing on the promises of God, He's got you. You're not going anywhere And listen, in just the moment that we feel like we are slipping out of His hand, in just the moment that our our grip is starting to loosen, that's exactly when we look up and we see that our Savior has been holding us the entire time. We think we're strong enough to keep our grip on Him. We think that we've got it together enough to live this Christian life, to do this thing. And He's saying, you're so weak, you can't even hold on to me, but don't worry, I'm holding on to you. And so church, that means don't stop pressing in. Don't stop uh, letting, don't let your allegiance waver. Don't let your faith waver. Hold fast to it because that's the only place that you can find hope. But as you do that, church, listen, some of you would say, I feel like my foot is slipping. I feel like I don't, I'm not going to make it through. Remember that the one who called you to himself is faithful. And he that started a good work in you, he that started the work of salvation in you, will bring it to completion. He tells us that we're to draw near because of what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus has done, we should hold fast. And finally, he tells us that we should encourage one another. Encourage one another. Very peculiar, right? I mean, in chapter 4, he gives the same two commands that we should draw near, that we should hold fast. And then now here in chapter 10, all of a sudden he's adding something else to it. He's saying, let's stir up one another. 
The reason that he does that is because, listen church, one way that he gives us to hold fast, one way that he gives us to draw near, is sitting right next to you. Each other, one another. Because right when we feel our faith faltering, that's exactly when we need one another. He is faithful to keep us, and one of the ways that he often does it is through other believers. Look at what he says. Verse 23, or sorry, verse 24 rather. And let us consider. He doesn't just say, let us encourage. He starts with, let us consider. That word means to think about carefully. Give very careful, thoughtful consideration. Here's what that means. Before we can begin to encourage one another, we've got to think about and search for ways to do it. We don't just start encouraging one another sporadically, but it's something that careful thought has to be given to it. And so, a question for us is, are we doing that? We don't just happen to encourage people, but we have to plan it, we have to consider it. How are you thinking about each other? Are you thinking of ways that you can encourage others, or do you just say, well, that encouraging thing, it'll just happen along the way? No. You have to think about one another. You have to think and consider. What does he say that we're looking at? What does he say that we're considering? He says we're looking, we're considering so that we can stir up. Or another word for stir up is to provoke. To rouse someone to activity. This word is often used in the sense of provoking someone to anger, right? When you know the words that you need to say to get that person all stirred up and angry, he's using that same word to say, hey, don't stir them up to anger, but provoke them to what? He says, toward love and good works. So a test for us, for each and every one of us in this room today, is do my words and actions cause others to more passionately follow Jesus? Or do my words and actions cause someone bitterness? I wonder if we ask that question about every word that we spoke, about every action that we took, our church would be transformed. We all would be stirred up. We all would be on fire. Do my words stir up the person next to me to more passionately pursue Christ? And look at what he says after that. This is so interesting. Because he could stop it right there, but apparently they have the same problem back then that we have today. That there are many who just say, well, I don't need the body. I don't need to be there for that. Look at what he says. He says, right after he tells them to stir each other up, he says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. Why does he say that? You can't stir up one another if you're not here. You can't live out this community of faith if you're not present, active, and involved. Church, we've got we've to get that. We can't do the commands, the one another commands, if we are not here, if we are not involved. And not just involved 
here in the building, but involved in each other's lives outside of here. We will never be the community of faith that He's called us to be unless we are present in each other's lives and present when we meet together. But notice, He says there, as is the habit of some. Why does He bring that word up? Because there were some people back then who had probably missed a little bit, and then they became in the habit of not meeting together with the body. You know, when you don't meet with the body, when you're not active and involved, you know, that becomes a habit. I'm going to miss church it becomes easier to miss it the next week and it becomes easier to miss it the week after that until finally you look back and you're like, man, I'm, I went from active and involved in my church to I just show up once, once a month maybe. And then we let it slip a little bit more than that and now our habit is, well, I just come on the holidays. I come on Easter. I come on Christmas. And notice, for the, for the ones who are coming once a month or on Christmas and Easter, now we're certainly glad that people do come on those times. Don't get me wrong. But you can't live out the encouraging one another if that's the kind of Christian that you are. You can't live out the commands that He gives to us if you're just coming every once in a while. Don't build a habit of being absent, church. Listen, build a habit of being present and faithfully showing up. We're to stir up one another. Y'all, I, I know, and this is going to be no surprise to y'all, I know exactly the buttons to press on Brittany to get her stirred up. I know exactly what it takes. I mean, like, we had, we had a, a, an argument one time, and, I, man, I, I knew how to just get her, how to just, you know, get that last zinger in there. And I just said, you know, she's going off, and she's being the better person. She knows that she was going to let me have it. If, I, if, I, if she stayed in that room, and so she was the bigger person, and she got up, and she was going to walk out and go to a different room. And as she was walking away, I said, why don't you just go ahead and slam that door when you go in there? <laughs> Y'all, sometimes I'm an idiot. <laughs> I, know, I know just the right buttons to push. Those of you who are married or those of you who have close friends, those of you who have kids, my goodness, don't kids know how to push those buttons? I mean, goodness. I, I saw something the other day that's like, I, I, it takes everything in me to hold back when your four-year-old you know, mouths off to you. You, know, you think you're big and bad and then they come in there and mouth something off and you're just like, man, I just want to like knock you across the room. But that wouldn't be Christ-like. We know how to push those buttons. We know how to push those buttons, and we, we kind of make a sport of it sometimes. But notice, he's saying the buttons that we ought to push, we ought to be pushing a different button. He's not telling us that we should stop pushing buttons, okay? He's saying, just push different buttons than you're already pushing. Don't stop pushing buttons, but don't push the irritate button. Push the encourage button button push the button that instead causes them to be angry push the button that's going to cause them to follow Jesus passionately 
So what buttons are we pushing with each other? What buttons are we pushing with others in the body? Are we pushing the button that we know is going to irritate? Are we, are we telling people truths that we know that may be true, but man, it's going to really get under their skin and I know it. Or do we push the button of saying, I'm going to give them the truth, but I'm going to give it in love. Many of us need to start, maybe not with the button pushing part, but we need to start with the considering part. In fact, that's all of us. What are some ways that you can encourage somebody else and don't just rush to answer that in your head, but actually let that mull over. Let, let, think about that. How can I encourage other people in the body? He tells us that because of G, what Jesus has done for us, that we should draw near. We don't run from God, but we run to Him because of what He's done for us. We hold fast he who called us is faithful. He's going to finish what He started. We encourage one another. We always consider how we can stir one another up toward love and good works. Jesus' death, His resurrection, all that He done for us, it reshapes how we approach God and how we approach each other. And so this morning, as we think about how do we respond to what we've read, well, if you're not a Christian here for you responding would be you understanding that this relationship with God that Jesus has opened up, you don't just have it by default. You don't just have it because the preacher stood up and said that it's there. You don't have it because you were born into a Christian family. You don't have this. You have it by coming and clinging to Jesus. I mean, this relationship with God that brings eternal joy... That's what you were created for. You don't just get it just by saying, ah, oh, that'd be nice. You get it by clinging to Jesus. He's the one who lived the life that we should have lived. Perfectly righteous. Met every standard of God. And He died the death that we deserve. And so, if you're not a Christian today, for you, responding to this, drawing near to God, holding fast in the end to you, that would just be for the very first time saying, I'm going to cling to Jesus. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to turn away from my sin and to Him. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, for you, responding to this would be to not let your weakness push you away. Don't let your weakness, don't let your sin push you away from God, but let it push you nearer to the cross. Because in just the moment that you think, He doesn't want to hear from me, He doesn't want to see me, that's exactly the moment that you need Him. Since you know that God is faithful to keep you to the end, another way that you can respond is by pressing in and investing in your relationship with Him. Just because we know that He's going to keep us does not give us a license to go and sin. Instead, that gives us a license to press in and walk with Him faithfully. Finally, we should think of one way. Baby steps, y'all. This next week, think of one way that you can encourage one another. And then after you think of that step, take it. Take it. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You shed Your blood for us. That Your flesh was torn for us. 
Lord, we thank You that even though we are unholy, that You invite us to come into the presence of the Holy God. You invite us into a relationship with Him. Help us, Lord, to draw near. Forgive us, Lord, of the times that we've let our sin push us away. Lord, help us to see the gospel more clearly. Help us to cling to it so much that even when we sin, that we would say, no, I still need to go to my Father. That's where I'm going to find grace. That's where I'm going to find help. That's where I'm going to find forgiveness. Father, I pray that we would pursue you passionately. That it would be contagious. Lord, don't just set a few of us on fire. Set us all on fire, Lord. Lord, don't just let the passion burn in a few. But Lord, help us to stir one another up so that the passion is flamed into every person that's a part of this church. Have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name.